Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. I don't know how it was in your house growing up, listener, but if I didn't obey the rules and keep myself on the straight and narrow, I got punished. There were definite consequences to my actions. Is it the same with God? Does God punish the wicked? Dr. Jennings joins us today via Skype to discuss this topic. Dr. Jennings, what's on your heart today? So first, I think that there may be semantical difference, meaning people attribute different meanings to the same words, mm-hmm. and we need to clarify that. Okay. So let's clarify what we mean by punish. Okay. I prefer what Paul wrote in the New Testament, that God disciplines those he loves. Mm. And discipline comes from the root word disciple, and it means to teach and to hold accountable, to educate for redemptive purposes. Punishment comes from the root word punitive, and it has to do with simply exacting vengeance upon or upholding some rule or enforcing a law of some kind by inflicting pain or suffering or consequence on somebody. And so those are two different aspects of things. Now, there's no question, I think all parties agree God disciplines those he loves. The question is, does God punish wickedness and sin? Now, that's a different question from, is there punishment for wickedness and sin? I want to go up front and say right now, there is an absolute punishment for sin. Punishment that is only avoidable through Jesus Christ. And if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, you will experience punishment for sin. The question, though, then arises, how does that punishment come out? Does the punishment come out from God upon those who would not otherwise experience any punishment? In other words, is the devil's allegation correct when the devil says, hey, guys, there's nothing wrong with sin? Sin itself is not harmful. It doesn't destroy. It doesn't cause pain, suffering. It's actually quite harmless. The only problem with sin is God and what he will do to you for it. And if God would simply restrain himself and not use his power to inflict punishment upon you, you could live for eternity in sin because sin is quite harmless. Is that the view we want to take, that the punishment originates and comes out from God, or do we want to take the view that the punishment comes out from sin? Well, let's start with some basic scriptures. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, or James chapter 1, sin when full grown brings forth death, or I like this one, Galatians 6.8, those who sow to the carnal nature from that nature reap destruction. Where's the destruction coming? It's not coming out from God. It's coming out from the sin. And so um, the, the root to understanding this, the first question really you have to ask is, how do I understand God's law? Do I see God as creator, builder of reality, the one who builds space, time, energy, life, and matter, and his laws are the laws upon which life is built? Or do I see God's laws functioning no differently than the types of laws you and I make up? a system of rules that have no consequence other than what the ruling authority imposes upon people. If that's how I see God, then punishment comes out from God because in order to be just, he must punish rule breakers. But if I see him as creator like the laws of health, then I realize God doesn't have to punish a smoker with lung cancer because breaking the laws of health result in its own 
consequence that is deviant to health and results in ruin and death. Which way do I see it? Mm. You know, I have a perfect example from my childhood of this very principle that you're talking about. My family and I, I was nine years old. My family and I visited Hershey, Pennsylvania. And of course, they make Hershey chocolate up there. And we got a big chunk of chocolate. We brought that back to our house in Syracuse, New York. And my dad said to me, Charles, we're putting this chocolate out there in the, in the, in the freezer in the back. Do not go out there and eat that because that's too much chocolate for you. Well, of course, nine years old chocolate. Hello. I went out there and I started eating that chocolate and I ate that chocolate and I ate that chocolate and it was so good. And as you probably have figured out within a couple hours, I was sort of doubled over in pain. I had eaten too much chocolate. Did my dad punish me because I did that? He didn't have to, Dr. Jennings. The chocolate did the punishing in me. Am I on the right track? Is that a good illustration? You're absolutely on the right track. And where people get confused is they will then look in the Old Testament and they will read things that make it sound that's not working that way. Mm. For instance, God said, cursed is the ground uh, because of you or for your sake in, uh, in Genesis. And people say, see, as soon as they sin, God punished them by cursing the ground. Well, if you believe God's law functions like human law, then that's how you read it. But if you understand God as creator and you put the rest of scripture together, you read in Romans 8 that all nature groans under the weight of sin. And God is not actually punishing Adam saying cursed is the ground and inflicting something upon the ground. God is saying, Adam, since you've broken trust with me, all nature now is deviant from my design. There are genetic defects and principles of, uh, of uh, the law of sin and death that now are undermining the way I designed life on earth to function. So the earth is cursed because of what you've done. That's the reality. He's simply diagnosing the reality, not inflicting a punishment. That's what's happening there. Many other places in the Old Testament, though, they will see God raising his voice, thundering at Sinai and other places like this and sounding very threatening. How do we understand that? Well, parents today will set rules for their children not to play in the street. Right. And the child, say, that maybe disobeys and goes into the street, if the parent is loving, that parent will intervene and inflict a painful consequence upon the child. Yeah. At that age in the child's mind, if we were asked the child, well, what's the problem with playing with the street? Well, mommies will get angry and wrathful and I will be punished. And where does the pain and suffering come from? Well, it comes from mommy. But in reality, we understand that there is no real punishment coming from mommy. The punishment would come if mommy didn't intervene and left them in the street to get hit by a car. And then the violations of the laws of physics happen, wow. crushing their little body. Wow. But the child can't understand it. So mommy steps in between them and reality and takes upon her shoulders the role of being the inflictor of pain in the child's mind in order to protect the child. That's the Old Testament. They didn't understand that worshiping a golden calf would sear their conscience, harden their heart, warp their character. So God steps between them and the law of worship. By beholding, we become changed and takes upon himself the role of the inflictor of pain and suffering to try and lead them to the point that the child grows up and say, hey, mom, I look back on it. You had that rule and that punished me for playing the street. But I realized you were never the problem. You were protecting me from what was going to happen if I didn't live in harmony with the laws of physics. And that's really what scripture is trying to teach us. Oh, my, my. You know, Dr. Jennings, I have an illustration, again, of something that's very close to what you just said. I was talking with a lady once, and she was an alcoholic, and she said, you know, that first drink, if God had stopped me before I took that first drink, I would not have had this problem. So it is God's fault because he didn't stop me. God can't win, Dr. Jennings. He can't win. 
Well, she makes it appear as if that she never had a choice after her first drink. Yeah, that's true. that's true. So how about after the first drink when she was in rehab, when she was in detox, when she was first diagnosed with health problems, when there are 12 step meetings that happen all in her community multiple times a week, her family and friends that have come to her and counselor, her pastor, and how many interventions did God send along her way <laughs> that she rejected throughout her whole life? But she's going to look back and say it was all that one choice. You've got to know this person. Wow, that's that's an amazing. I like that you're saying that God is so much in love with us that he allows us to sin and the punishment that happens isn't from God. It's from the sin. Right. That puts God in a whole new light. That is exactly right. So so let's be very clear again, because some have actually, can you believe, Charles, some accused me of suggesting that I teach there's no punishment for sin? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Uh, what I teach is that God is not the source of yeah, pain, suffering, go. and death. Yeah. God is the source of life. But sin severs that connection with God. Sin, Wages of sin is death. And so there's a terrible suffering and a terrible punishment, but it comes out from the sin. And what happens with this other view, most Christians that I've talked to, before they actually hear what I teach, live their lives more afraid of God who's trying to save them yes, than yes. the sin in their life, which is killing them. Yes, yes. Well, some people may be saying, hold on, okay, you gave us some example. What about when God brought the flood? Wasn't he punishing wickedness in the world then? Or what about Sodom and Gomorrah? Wasn't he punishing? I mean, you're, you're, you're just picking and choosing your text, Dr. Jennings. Come on now, let's get real. I said, so yes, let's look at that. Because some will say, some who are wanting to remove God from the role of the inflictor of pain and suffering will then go back in Scripture and suggest that all those stories in the Bible where you have God putting people in the grave was really the devil doing it, and it's just describing God as doing it. Mm. Well, I reject that. I think there are places and times in history where God actually put people in the grave, but you have to remember a couple points. One, the Bible describes two deaths. The sleep death, which Daniel dies, you're going to sleep in the grave and wait for the resurrection that Paul describes as a resurrection of the righteous— Every human being dies that death. But there's a second death, which is the, the death of sin, the deaths of, of damnation, the death from which there's no resurrection. That's the punishment from sin death. Well, all the people who died in the Old Testament, regardless of how they died, did not die that second death. They died the first death, the sleep death. So that is not the punishment for sin. And so people who want to suggest God was punishing sin, they have to remember, well, that's not the death that's the punishment for sin. So it can't be that. It's something else going on. And what's going on? This is where we have to understand context. In Genesis 3, God tells the serpent that the seed of the woman is going to crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. Satan now knows a Messiah is coming. Satan doesn't go on vacation. He gets busy trying to stop the plan. How can he stop Jesus being our savior? Well, God is not going to have Jesus born to a woman like Jezebel in character. Mm -hmm. And he is not going to force a woman against her will to be the mother of Jesus. And so if Satan can get every human heart to harden itself against God so they won't cooperate with him, then Satan successfully stops Jesus from becoming our Messiah. You may say, well, that's ridiculous. That's not going to happen. Well, according to Genesis chapter 6, there was a time on the earth where there was only one righteous man left on the entire earth. Only one. Mm -hmm. Every other person had hardened their heart at the time that Noah was given the mission to begin preaching for the flood. And so how long did God wait to act? The avenue for which Messiah is going to come is almost gone. If God doesn't act, he loses the entire race. And so God acts to bring the flood, but brings out of the flood Noah and his family, which keeps open the avenue for Messiah. So the flood is not an act of God punishing sin. It's an act of a loving God acting in a redemptive way to keep open the channel for Messiah. And he waited to the last possible moment to act in order to save the species. Wow. Wow. Well, Dr. Jennings, we have uh, about two and a half minutes left here in the program. Give us some really good news. You've talked about some, some, some agonizing choices that we have to make and some things that are happening to us. 
If we are in the depths of being punished by sin, sin is the source of our punishment, what can God do for us now? So if we're in, the, in a place like that, God, of course, is the source of healing and salvation. But people will not come to him for healing and salvation if they view him as the source mm, of the pain. Right. And so they create all these false theologies that have the function of hiding them or protecting them from God. So they need something done to God. They offer him a blood payment or they have someone plead to him or they do something. But they don't pray like David of old who says, Father, search me and see the wicked way in me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. So the first step is you have to disabuse yourself of the idea that God is the source of pain and suffering and realize he's your loving father who is the source of life and who will provide everything you need for a new heart and right spirit and to remove from you the pain of sin and fear and shame and guilt and restore in you the joy of salvation if you love and trust him. That's the true reality that we have in Jesus Christ. Oh, amen. Listener, if you'd like more information about this topic and a lot of others, and by the way, this topic is covered beautifully in a book called Could It Be This Simple? That's Dr. Jennings' first book, as a matter of fact, and when I was introduced to him by reading that book and said, wow, this is, this is very nice. The world needs to hear this. And so I got involved with the ministry doing radio programs with Dr. Jennings. That's all at comeandreason.com is the website. There are blogs, there are books, there, radio programs, podcasts, everything there available for you. The beauty of God's love shines out from the material that Dr. Jennings puts out for his listeners and for his readers and for his watchers in an amazing colors right there at comeandreason.com. Dr. Jennings, as always, a pleasure to have you talking to us and sharing with us from the heart. Thank you, Dr. Jennings. Great topic today, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>